Hello, simpletons. Welcome to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about being possessed by possessions. Hmm. We got a bunch of surprise questions as well, but let's start off, Ryan, with some more about less. Let's do it. This is an article from The Guardian, and the well, it's under the overconsumption section, and the title is, We Need to Stop Buying Stuff, and I Know Just the People to Persuade Us. Well, I don't mean to persuade anyone here, but we're going to at least talk about this, right? Ages ago, an old friend who was an, el- who was an early adopter of environmental concerns wanted a new kitchen. He asked an expert he knew from his work in woodland conservation what wood his kitchen should be built with. He, started, he, he was startled to get a sharp response. If you really care, then don't come to me asking which wood to use. Ask yourself if you really need a new kitchen. Mm. Point taken, but not much acted upon by him, me, or anyone else I've come across. I'm so sick of stuff. Some of, some of it is stuff I really need. Or that is at least genuinely nice to have. Mm. But a good 70% is useless stuff. Mm. I think it's probably higher than that. As as proven with your packing party and with my eight months of of decluttering. But we've seen thousands of people play the minimalism game or do their own version of the packing party now. Mm -hmm. And yeah, at least 70% is useless stuff. Yeah. Now, here's the problem with that is... The reason we don't see it as useless, I think, Ryan, hmm. is because it was useful once upon a time. Right. We got use out of it, mm-hmm. but we are no longer using it, and therefore it is, by definition, but also by its very essence, useless to us. Yeah. And yet we continue to hold on to it. Um, he goes on to say, clothes I'll never wear, books I'll never read, kitchen utensils I'll never utilize, items big and small that presumably felt essential the day I bought them, but turned out to be quite the opposite. I suppose as I get older, the 70% figure will grow and grow until the morning of the day I shuffle off this mortal coil. At, that, at this point, the percentage of stuff I own that is useless to me will stand at a nice round 100% because, of course, I won't be able to take it with me. But what I will be able to do is leave it to my children to bump up the percentage of st- stuff useless to them that they own. And so it goes. <laughs> One day, all this useless stuff will be yours, children. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, remember that uh, mm. you watch a Lion King and he's like yeah. showing that this whole kingdom is yours, but it would be a great meme and it's just like a hoarder's living room. Yeah. Yeah. Everything within these walls is yours, child. Oh, man. stuff 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 advertising people pushing at the open door of our acquisitive instincts dedicate their lives to fooling us into acquiring more of it it bugs me how these people regard themselves as quote creatives as if they write plays or novels or grace lighted stages and silver screens they think they make art oh it's art all right the very darkest of arts (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I have a bit of a problem with this because sometimes we create things. I'm thinking about Beulah and, and these paintings here, right? Yeah. It is definitely art. Yeah. Literally. It, it's the definition of art. When you think about art, the first thing you often think about are, are paintings. Yes. And yet it requires 
a physical object. Mm. And I don't have a problem with stuff in that respect. And what I want to be careful of is we don't want to demonize all stuff. Mm-mm. We're not monastics. It's not about depriving ourselves of the stuff, of beauty, of art. I mean, of the things that make us feel the most alive or complement our lives or amplify our lives or accentuate our lives. Mm. And so... I don't want to. I don't want to just cast it all out and say, "Well, if it if it's a physical good, it's bad." Yeah, definitely not. Well, yeah. I mean, first off, we are never the judge and jury of people's things. What you and I really go out of our way to do is help people make those decisions intentionally, because this might be junk. The, this art might be junk to to someone, right? And that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think the, the the point to bring up here is we had it made for this particular period. In fact, uh, Buell is making two new paintings for us to replace the four on the sides. It, you can go to theminimalists.com slash art and buy these off of her directly. Mm-hmm. It actually just forwards to her website, but it's a long URL and I couldn't remember it. So <laughs> I just set up theminimalists.com slash art. It takes you to, to Buell's site. She's selling these four paintings, the two that are behind me, the two that are behind Ryan, mm-hmm. because we're replacing them because we're getting a new podcast desk in here soon. And therefore these things that were useful to us at one period of time mm. are no longer useful to us. Although secretly, I'm kind of hoping like no one buys them and we can just buy them ourselves. <laughs> right. Put them in our homes. Yeah. Ryan can get the two for him and I'll have these two for me. But <laughs> the, the thing to think about here is like, would this be appropriate for you? If not, I would certainly suggest you don't buy the art that is inappropriate for you. Right. It renders your, it not only does it become useless, but it renders your home more chaotic in a way. Yeah. But it can bring calm, peace, solitude as well. It, can, it can't actually bring those things. It can amplify those things. Yeah. When you go to a museum and you notice how peaceful the space is, it's because that art that is there has been curated intentionally. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the same thing with all of our stuff. Yes, most of us have too many clothes, too many shirts, too many pairs of pants, too many old pairs of underwear we don't use, that shirt that's in the back of the closet you haven't worn in three years, but maybe it'll come back into style. No, it won't. Mm. And so you can let those things go because they're no longer serving a purpose in your life. But you can also bring new things in. You can bring in new art. You can bring in new clothes. You can bring in new books. The question is, am I actually going to read this or wear this or enjoy this? If not, then I'm going to question whether or not I want to even bring it in in the first place. Yeah. Return to text here. Even the pandemic couldn't stand in the way of our lust for stuff and the supply of plenty of it. There was stuff we couldn't get, but this only served to intensify our desire for it. Hence, we now have so much stuff stuffed in the shipping containers all over the world that the entire system is congested, stuffed up with stuff. Mm. Oof, Mm. that's good. Stuffed up with stuff stuff like a turkey (laughs) (laughs) except we're the turkeys yeah yeah Mm. yeah our lives are are, we talked about this in our last netflix film less is now yeah the 
I was going through my mom's house, right? And her living room was stuffed with big antique furniture and her kitchen was stuffed with all these plates and cups and bowls and her linen closet was stuffed with all these towels and her bathroom was stuffed with enough hygiene products to start a small beauty supply business. Mm. Her home was stuffed with stuff. It was like she lived in a giant shipping container Mm. and she wasn't a hoarder either, except we're all hoarders in the, the loosest sense of the word. And so we're... We're packing everything into these, uh, into our homes, mm. and it's actually getting in the way of the value. Yeah. And that's why I want to talk to you about the we're possessed by our possessions. Yeah. And so we'll put a link to this Guardian article. I think it's a really, really solid one, and they, they talk about some potential solutions here as well. And so you can get into the meat of that. It's relatively short. It's only I printed out. It's about three pages long. We just got through a page there. But um, Ryan. Josh. Luxury items. What about them? Expensive pain. Mm. We spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We as humanity. Right. Also, you and I in the past have certainly spent a lot of money. Absolutely. And it becomes these things that are objects that really Oh, we're so unhappy with. Why did I waste my money on that expensive watch? Mm. That expensive bedding, that shirt I don't wear anymore. Why did I spend so much money? It's painful in a way, psychologically painful. And we have all these emotions tied in. Now I can't let it go either, which increases that expensive emotional and psychological pain. Mm. And so I want to talk to you today, Ryan. I had our patrons make a list of things that they might, well, that they might buy if they had unlimited money. Hmm. What are some of the uh, the luxury goods? Now, Sarita said, "I purchased a Louis Vuitton bag four years ago and regretted it as soon as I walked out of the store. I bought it because that's what everyone had." I knew I didn't have the money to buy it. I stupidly charged it to a credit card. But keeping up with the Joneses or the Kardashians was my priority. I only used it for a year and then hid it in a closet. Oh! Instead of getting rid of it, I justified keeping it by telling myself I paid a lot for it. And so I'll probably use it someday. Mm. Yeah, the lies we tell ourselves to hold on to things. It's interesting. I... uh came across this video i sent it to jordan because i know he's like getting into watches lately and this uh veteran uh he was at and they were at the antique roadshow and he was getting an an appraisal on his watch and he's telling the story of uh this watch that he has right and he's it was a rolex and he was like yeah you know i bought this back in 1974 and he's like i was a scuba diver and i knew that um i knew that uh Rolex has made really good scuba diving watches. So, you know, I, I went out on my way. I spent, you know, uh, whatever he had in savings to buy this Rolex. Um, and then he, once he had it, he was like, oh man, I can't, I can't take this scuba diving. I'm going to ruin it with all the salt water. Like he just couldn't bring himself to do it. Wow. So he took his, so he took his watch and he put it in a safe deposit box. Uh, it, it just left it in there for years and years and years and years. Now, the ending of this story, this is what gets most people. He is getting his watch appraised, and it appraises for like three quarter of a million dollars. Wow! That he spent seven hundred or four hundred dollars on this watch back in nineteen seventy four, and that story is the ending is an exception to the rule, for sure. 
But the common story is we buy something and then we just hold on to it because we spend a lot of money for it. We're too afraid to like tarnish it, especially if it's a luxury item. So we don't even get a chance to enjoy the watch. Mm-hmm. But people will look at this story and they'll say, well, this is why I hold on to everything. You don't ever know what's worth three quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> Here's the thing is like for me personally, uh, that's it would drive me insane trying to hold on to everything. And I would pay, if I had the money, I would pay three quarter of a million dollars to not be insane. Yes. Well, isn't that, isn't that fascinating? Because Ryan, what you're illustrating here is there is a story where if I hold on to the right watch for 60 years or whatever, mm-hmm. then eventually it's worth 40 years, whatever the, the time frame is, then eventually it may be worth something. Mm-hmm. And that's a one in a million story. Yes. But the 999,999 stories that of the opposite. Yes. Almost always what happens. I hold on to this. Well, let's go back to uh, Sarita here. The Louis Vuitton bag. Mm. It's not that that's going to be worth nothing, but it has depreciated significantly, I bet. Oh, and, yeah. And you know, just like most bags or clothing, these things depreciate as soon as you walk out of the store with it. Yeah. Now, she even said, I regretted it as soon as I walked out of the store. Why do you think that is? Let's speculate on this for a moment. Oh, I think there were there was a financial cost that she knew that probably wasn't the responsible thing to do. There was uh, the cost of caring about it. There's like, for me, it would be the cost of like, well, now I have this thing and now this thing represents me. Like that doesn't feel good to me. So, I mean, there are a lot of, uh, yeah, I don't know. What other factors do you think were involved with that? Well, I think the the title of this is Possessed by Possessions mm. because I think that's what happens. Like, as soon as she possessed it, now it had some sort of grip on her. Oh, yeah. Now, here's the irony of that. It actually had a, a strong grip on her beforehand, that desire to pursue it, to I must own it, right? Mm. There's a certain toxicity there, right? Uh, in fact, I would call it a clinging, a toxic clinging to possessiveness. We, this happens all the time. That's my thing, right? Mm. That's my place. That's the place of, you know, oh, why would you go there without me? That's our place. That's mm. my place. My spouse. Now, it's not that I'm against owning things or being in a relationship, mm. but when we must possess them. Mm. Otherwise, we're going to be discontent. Well, we're going to be discontent either way. Yeah. Because there's always that fear that, that that person's going to leave or that thing's going to break. I can't wear it in the salt water because, oh my gosh, mm. it's going to be ruined. Mm. I mean, buying an expensive thing just to hide it in a locker, essentially, is not bringing any value to anyone. I understand if it's a type of investment. Sure. I even think about watches as as one of these luxury items. And as you mentioned, Jordan's really getting into it. And he's he's really into like taking apart watches. I was just talking to him today about he was taking apart a watch with like 180 different parts and he's like filming the whole thing. And, mm. and he's going through it like a craftsman. Mm. And so there's a true value. It's not to, he doesn't take apart that watch to impress anybody else, right? Right. There are way better ways to quote unquote impress someone. He's fascinated by it. He's compelled by it. He's enthusiastic by it. Mm. There's a passion there. And so for someone like Jordan, if he had the money to buy one of these, you know, $2,000, $3,000, $5,000 Rolexes, Mm. it would probably make sense because it's something that he's really passionate about. Yeah. We had one person who wrote in, I didn't write it on, on my notes, so I don't remember their name, but it was a patron who said, I'd buy one of these, what's it called, Piaget? Is that the name of the, the brand? Maybe? I yeah. Really 
Yeah, so so Piaget, I think, is this this high end. Uh, in fact, I saw I was looking it up when I was doing the, the prep for this, and they make a lot of six figure kind of watches, oh, right? Wow. And so this person said they they would buy that. Uh, instead, they have like a sixty six dollar Casio watch mm. that they actually really enjoy. Mm. And so I wanted to give you some examples of some potential luxury items that our patrons might purchase. Rebecca said she would purchase an Ames lounger. See, that's fascinating because I own an Ames lounger and I don't know that I would call it a luxury item. I, but it's weird. I sit in it every day mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's, it's nice. It's high end. It's high quality. Mm-hmm. But, and I, I read in it every single day. Mm. But I don't know that I would... I mean, maybe it is a luxury item. I'm, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I really enjoy owning it. Yeah, I don't own anything else on this list though. Catherine says a Tesla Model X. Hmm. Susan says a private jet. <laughs> Faith, they, I wanted to put these two right next to each other. Faith says central air conditioning. Yeah, wow. And it's funny because we don't look at central air conditioning as a luxury because it's so available to us, right? But man, there are places in this country, um, Arizona. You know, the, the the population didn't really start to skyrocket until uh-huh. air conditioning was invented. Yeah, Houston's definitely that way as well. Yeah. Because, um, especially because of the humidity. Yeah. And so it is a type of luxury. I would consider it a luxury. Mm-hmm. It's a nicety that we all have. I sadly look at it as a necessity now. Yeah. When we lived in Montana, we didn't have air conditioning. Remember that summer? Yeah. What was it 2013? And there were quite a few days it got like over 110 degrees. Oh, yeah. I have a picture of Colin, who we lived with at the time. He he was he just had underwear on. He was shirtless, and he's holding up the freezer. And he just has his head in the freezer, yeah, because it was so freaking oh, hot, yeah. right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was super hot for sure. And I do remember thinking, like, oh, why I'm never going to live in another place without AC. Mm. And uh, but I probably overuse it, and and so it's become one of those things where now I'm just so accustomed to it mm. that I won't say that I take it for granted, but I think it's easy to take for granted. Oh yeah, so many things in our lives. Well, I mean, when we put things into perspective, a lot of the times it can help us um, get into an appreciative state. So I know for me, when I start to, I don't know, when I start to want a Tesla, and I'm like, I'm sitting there and like really dreaming about it and thinking about it. And I think about it a lot and I got to talk myself out of buying a Tesla on a regular basis. Just ask Mariah. Um, but you know, I have to remind myself of like, Hey, I do have all of these wonderful things in my life. Mm-hmm. This luxury isn't going to bring me any more happiness. Mm. It's not, gonna, not going to bring me any more contentment. But when we take things for granted, like something as simple as AC, well, then we just, we start to look beyond uh, for, for other luxurious items that are, um, it, it's just, it, that's, that's the, uh, the way to an endless chase. Right. Yeah. I, I'm thinking you, you're conjuring up images, Ryan, of, you know, Dan Blazarian. Mm-mm. Oh, I do. <laughs> Danny just laughed over here. Is he, uh, He's, yeah, I, I would just describe him as an extreme hedonist. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'd love to get him on the podcast to mm. talk about hedonism mm. because he's sort of the portrait of hedonism. If you go to his Instagram account, which I think has 30 million followers, yeah, it's basically, basically him with women and guns and, and access and boats and, and jets, mansions yeah. and jets. Yes. It's, it's opulence, pure op- opulence. Yeah. He, he is sort of opulence or luxury goods personified. Mm. And... The thing is, I think many of these things bring great pleasure to his life. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing he will tell you, because I've heard him do a few different interviews, is that 
your threshold continues to increase, right? Yeah. And so uh, drugs, by the way, too. Like, it's another part of it. It's like it's part of the milieu of his uh, Instagram feed and his life is it's women and guns and boats and mansions and private jets and lots and lots of drugs. Oh wow! And and so you see this sort of. Um, this thing that we all strive for many of these things. In fact, I would argue that your 20s mm. were not unlike Dan Blazarian. It's just you didn't have the same uh, amount of access to these things. Sure. Yeah. He has unlimited money, right? He won something yeah. like $50 million playing poker. And he won more money than anyone in history playing poker. Apparently. Oh, wow. And so he had a ridiculous amount of money. He started some companies and he's, he's really wealthy, right? I think he grew up relatively wealthy as well. But I will say there's also a, a lack of pretentiousness mm. in him because there's no there's not a facade of I'm trying to trick people into thinking I'm what no 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 you, it's ego on full display he is the he is the actually it's the id on full display right it's mm. it's him extreme version all the time it's you know thirty women in his bed with him all yeah. wearing bikinis right yeah or. It, it's uh, him, you know, shooting guns with those same women after they just got off the private jet. And all of these things, I think, for him have become second nature. It'd be really difficult for him to go drive just a Mercedes Benz. Like, that would be like slumming it for him, yeah. it feels like. Yeah. And so that's why I wanted to put the private jet here from Susan next to Faith's central air conditioning because, well, luxury is perspectival, right? Mm. For. Faith, she's like, hey, the luxury I would have, central air conditioning. Mm -hmm. And for Susan, it's, I definitely have a private jet. Now, her explanation was like, I want to be able to travel to see family without worrying about COVID. And like, I can totally get that. Yeah. And, and I understand it. Melissa said she'd like a tankless water heater. Mm. A tankless hot water heater. Right. Do you know, do you know what this is? I, I've just vaguely. It's a, um, it's on demand hot water. Right. So like you have this heating element that your hot water line will pass through and it instantly makes it hot. So then that way, like you don't like my cousin who has a tiny home, uh -huh. it's not very luxurious. He has a tankless hot water heater because a hot water heater takes up a lot of room, right? You couldn't fit it in the tiny home. Exactly. Now what's fascinating about this is my building functionally has a, I mean, my, I, my assumption is they have either a tankless water heater or such capacity and, one of its three basements that they just have giant because I have endless hot water in my apartment building. Right. Yeah. And so I, I basically have this now. I definitely don't take it for granted, but the reason I don't take it for granted is I take a cold shower every day, mm. every single day. I finish my shower with two minutes or more of cold shower. Yeah. And it is, especially on the days where I don't want to do it. It's exhilarating. It's wonderful. Yeah. And, and therefore it, I never take for granted the, the hot water because of the contrast right mm -hmm. now mary said a vacation home by the beach man you know it's funny i drive by uh whenever we go to the beach i drive by these like crazy multi-million dollar homes in malibu and santa monica and i would love to have access to something like that but i would hate to own it hmm. like i'd love to have why access. is that well because when you own it now it's your responsibility aha uh -huh. Where if you have if you have access to it, you could have like oh, I'm gonna have a weekend with some friends and family, and we're gonna have a good time on the beach. Like living there on a regular basis to me sounds like 
Well, it sounds like the home would end up owning you. Yes. Yeah. You become possessed by the possessions, right? right yeah. I'm wondering about the Tesla thing. Maybe we can circle back to that in a moment because sure. it feels to me, because I know that's been your object day for a long time. Yeah. I wonder if it possesses you more now than if you were to actually buy it. And then you... Probably. You, it would no longer possess you. Uh, maybe, maybe yeah. not. I don't know, but I, I'd be interested to hear your feedback. Like, I guess maybe here's a better question for you. Why don't you just go ahead and get it so you stop <laughs> thinking about it so damn much? Then I wouldn't have anything to talk about. <laughs> no, man. You know, uh, if I have a home that's paid off, I'll, I'll probably get a Tesla. Mariah and I, we just had this conversation last week. Um, yeah. So that, well, and right now I don't have a place to charge it either. So that's kind of a big deal. You got to have a place to like, yeah, to charge it. So, but yeah, when we have a home that's paid off, that's when I would feel okay about going and, and maybe getting a Tesla. Um, and then also, because right now I don't have the you know tens of thousands of dollars to drop on it because I don't do debt, mm-hmm. uh, especially for a car, um, that'll give me time to save up for it as well. Yeah, because it's a depreciating a- asset and you especially don't want to do debt for a depreciating asset. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the worst kind of debt you can get into. And they even have 83-month car loans now. Oh, my goodness. In our, in our book, Love People Use Things, I think I, there's a stat in there, which I got from Ramsey, I believe. The average person is paying, I think it's something like $533 a month. I, I'd have to look at the exact, but it's mm. over 500 It's almost f- for a car payment. And it's longer than back in the day when I used to do uh, debt on cars. It was 60 months, which was still excessive. Yeah. Now everyone's doing 72 months and 83 months. They're mm-hmm. just extending that mm-hmm. so they can... Here, here's the problem. When you show up at the car a lot, they ask you, what's your monthly budget? Oh, yeah. And they okay, let's get you in the most expensive car and we'll just stretch it out. Debt yeah. is debt, and it's a huge, huge problem. Mm-hmm. And so... Talk about being possessed by your possession. I remember when I had three luxury cars at one point. Eventually, I sold one of them and then eventually sold the other two as well when I was getting out of debt. The, uh, oh my God, Ryan. I remember being so miserable with my job. This is, I've never talked about this. Hmm. I was in my um, Land Rover mm-hmm. and I was driving to work. I managed a store in Cincinnati at the Northgate Mall. <laughs> I was driving there, and this thing was a gas hog. I think it got like 11 miles per gallon or something. Good grief. And so I'm driving there, and I'm just burdened by the car payment, by my other car payments, by my house payment, all the debt payments. And I'm like, oh, this car's already upside down. I've only had it for three months, and it's worth like, whatever, 10000 less than what I paid for it, right? Mm. I, I thought about, what if I just drive it off the road right now and total it? <laughs> Can I, will I be okay? My goodness, yeah. Like, Talk about I got being, that gap insurance. It'll pay for the... I had gap insurance. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And and so, which is another upsell, and I went into debt to have gap insurance, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's all absurd. Mm. And so the reason that I don't want to go into debt is the same reason I don't want excess stuff, because I do not want to be possessed by my possessions. Yeah. And so mm. I think that, um, well... There was one, one or two other things that, that came up. Someone mentioned a, uh, a, the luxury item they would buy would, would be a, a hot tub. And I didn't write this one down. But what's fascinating about it is, because it, she said, you know, I, I'm achy or sore all the time. It just feels so luxurious to be able to get into a hot tub every night. And for me, I, my apartment complex has a hot tub. I never get into it unless Ella wants to get into it, right? Yeah. And so what's fascinating is that, and I get it, would totally be a luxury for her. Mm-hmm. 
me, I would not own one. However, I would own, I would totally own a cold plunge if yeah. I had my own house. That, and so let's talk about some of the things that would be luxury items that you or I might own. We obviously know about your Tesla. Yes, Tesla it, truck. There you go. I love how ugly it is. I'd get a Tesla jet. It's a <laughs> come on. If I had unlimited money, I could buy one. Patent pending. <laughs> Um, they are coming up with electric jets. They're trying to come up with electric jets. Anyway, um, yeah, Tesla truck. Uh, I, I'll tell you something that Mariah and I talk about a lot is building our own house. And it's not about the home. It's like the house, I really could care less what the house looks like. But I really want a um, like a self-care area on the property somewhere. So it includes a cold plunge. It would include a sauna. Probably wouldn't do a hot tub because I have had access to hot tubs before and I don't use them a lot. Right. But like the sauna and the cold plunge, I would, I would totally do that. Um, yeah, not even, I wouldn't even have a pool. Like it it would literally just be cold plunge and sauna. And here's the beautiful thing is like, those things are accessible. Right. Like I, you know, you can get saunas relatively cheap. You can get cold plunges relatively cheap. So those are some those are something that uh, I'll be able to get anyways without endless money. Yeah, and I don't even know that I would call them necessarily luxury items. That hmm. maybe there's a luxury version of each one of those things. Hmm. But I know people who have a sauna. Our friend Chris Kelly in his closet. Yeah, like he just took a a tiny little closet and turned it into a sauna with the correct heating elements or whatever. Yeah, you see it, you're like, you're definitely not like, oh, look at this luxury. <laughs> no, 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 it's highly functional, right? right? Same thing with a cold plunge. You can have a hole in the ground, basically, yeah. that has some sort of filtration in it that you could do on your own. Mm-hmm. You can build it on your own for next to nothing if you yeah. know how to use your hands, and so. I look at that as something I'd really like to have, but whether or not it's a luxury item, it's it's in that little gray area there. Yeah. Now, well, going back to the definition of luxury, what was it? It was uh, excess wealth. Comfort. And comfort, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Cold plunge makes you really uncomfortable. It does, it does. <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't take wealth to get, because you could technically get like a horse trough and put a bunch of ice in there with water. There's your cold plunge. I do it all the time at home. Yeah. So what, what I'll do is I'll go buy 70 pounds of ice, mm-hmm. and I put it in my bathtub. Which is re- I'm tall, and I have a relatively small bathtub, so it's like kind of hard to get in there. But 70 pounds of ice, mm-hmm. and just put cold water plus the ice, and now I have a cold plunge. And yeah. it's really freaking cold. Mm-hmm. You all familiar with cold plunges? Ever tried one? They're awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, I take the cold shower every day because I don't have access to the cold plunge. Now, if if there was a cold plunge in my building, I would use it every day. Yeah. There is a sauna in my building, and I use that all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a swimming pool at our apartment complex, and Ella uses that all the time. I wouldn't have. I have no use for a swimming pool whatsoever yeah. unless Ella wants to wants to play in it. Yeah. And so, I think what is important to understand here is there are a lot of luxury items you could purchase. You could put a swimming pool in your backyard that you never use, but oh, what the neighbors think about me is wonderful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You could have the really fancy car that you barely ever drive, and now you've got all these car payments associated with it. So what? Mm-hmm. Now, for me, several of the things that you mentioned certainly stood out to me. You know, I'm I'm actually with Susan here. If, if money was not an object. I could see having a private jet if it was an electric private jet. <laughs> I can't justify uh, putting that much uh, CO2 CO2 into the atmosphere, right? Yeah. But uh, on, on a private jet. But 
I that's mainly my extreme introversion. I would just rent a private jet. I wouldn't own it. <laughs> right. Well, that, you're illustrating something else. We would just fly private. <laughs> well, so so you're talking about access mm. versus ownership, right? Yeah. And one of the reasons that the sauna and the pool at my apartment complex don't possess me is because I don't possess them. Yeah. I don't own those things. I don't have to maintain them. I don't have to worry about them. I don't have to fix them. I, I don't have to um, upgrade them. Mm-hmm. I don't have to repaint them, restain them, change the component parts. Yeah, Someone else handles all of that so that I don't have to. We were talking about Dan Blazarian earlier. And Dan, um, he lives in these crazy luxurious homes, you know, $60 million houses or what, $35 million houses in L.A. Yeah. But he doesn't own any of them, right? And why would you? Why would you want to own any of that? Then you're burdened with all, I mean, I don't even know what the square footage of these places are. However, I'll say this. You you mentioned all the beautiful beach houses and how they're excessive, but it'd be cool to have access to it. Sure. If I had unlimited money, I I would probably look at something like what Kanye did recently. He bought a house on the beach uh, that was made by an artist, an architect, mm. Ando. And so he essentially bought a, a piece of art because mm. Ando barely ever makes. In fact, Sean, if you can Google, just look up this house. It's an Ando house, Malibu. Kanye bought it, I think, for $60 million. Wow. Now, here's the thing. He basically bought a $60 million piece of art. That he can live in. That he can also live in. Yeah. Because there are $60 million pieces of art out there, sure. right? yeah. You can't live in most of them. <laughs> in fact, very few can you actually live in. So it's a beautiful, and it's it's actually relatively modest. I think it's like 2,000 square feet or something. Yeah. You know, for a beach house in Malibu, that is really modest. But you look at it, and you're like, oh, I, I get it. Now, you and I have been into one of Ando's uh, museums in Fort Worth, mm. and it's it was stunning. In fact, the artwork on the wall is like, yeah, this is cool, but look at this building. Yeah, the archi- yeah, the architecture. Look at this, yeah, look at this architecture. It's stunning. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't If I had unlimited money right now, mm-hmm. actually let's, let's just take that out. Let's say someone handed me a million dollars right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think my life would look any different from what it is right now. I wouldn't drive a different car. I wouldn't live in a different place. I I I wouldn't change anything fundamental to my life right but there are sometimes some high-end things luxury things that we may want and there's nothing wrong with wanting those things Mm -hmm. but needing them that's a different story yeah 100 percent. so i do want to dive into some of these surprise questions here we have uh, two questions i thought went well together how about charles and zachary emma so charles asked when do luxury goods make sense to own? And then Zachary wants to know, I would like to hear a discussion about phony luxuries. That is, items and concepts perceived as superfluous. 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 That's all good. <laughs> but are actually essential. For example, nutritious food comes to mind. Processed foods tend to be cheaper and more readily available. Mm. Mm. This one is rough, Ryan, because... The uh, the food thing, I don't look at the. I think I look at food, healthy food, as a necessity. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it has turned into a luxury, like through, uh, uh, just through different farming practices, through marketing. So there are a lot of things that have created uh, a false luxury. 
So maybe that, yeah, that's where the false luxury is. Mm-hmm. Healthy food is a false luxury because it is a necessity. Yeah, because you either pay for it now or you pay for it later. Yeah. And, and pay for it in more ways than money. Mm-hmm. Even if you have health care, so what? It, it, let's say you have health care that covers all your medical expenses. You're still paying for pain and suffering. That's how you're paying for the, the, these choices that we make. And I know because you and I grew up on food stamps and government assistance and subsiding on Pop-Tarts and a bunch of other processed nonsense. Yeah. It, we're not even eating food anymore. We're eating food-like products. Yeah. We're eating food products. Anything in a package is generally a by definition, a product. It's produced. It's not actually food. What would our ancestors have eaten? Would it ever be something from a package? No. And, and, and so it doesn't mean that they don't store foods for certain seasons or whatever, mm-hmm. but it was nothing that was purchased off a shelf that I get. We have calories that help sustain us, mm-hmm. but we end up paying for it later when we... And so I don't look at I mean, if, if there is one thing that I overspend on, I don't look at it as overspending, I buy high-end food. I guess you could call luxury food, right? Mm-hmm. I, I go to the nicest grocery store in town, mm-hmm. and I buy real food, not things that are in packages, not um, processed junk, also things that I can things that I can eat as well because mm. of my autoimmune condition, right? And so I have a really limited, attenuated section of, of things that I, that I can eat to sustain myself, but also to nourish myself. And in fact, nourishment is probably the best analogy here, right? Mm. We buy a lot of things that are empty calories. The Louis Vuitton bag mm-hmm. is empty calories. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with having a piece of candy or processed food every now and then. But if our primary diet is processed junk, Mm -hmm. well, then we become processed junk in the process. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the question, when do luxury goods make sense to own? You know, Charles, uh, uh, the question is like, what is it costing you? And if it's all these costs that you can afford, then... We give you permission. We're not saying don't buy a Louis Vuitton bag. We're not saying don't buy a Tesla. The question is, is what are you giving up for that luxury good? And if you're giving up more than what you're, you're willing to give, then that's when it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's thinking about the true cost, right? Mm -hmm. Not just the price tag, but that burden. As soon as Sarita walked out of the store, she felt burdened by that Louis Vuitton bag. She had to go into debt. Yeah. She put it on a credit card. What a metaphor. The baggage is weighing you down, literally, in this case. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and if that bag costs, call it $1,000, mm-hmm. and those credit card rates are 15%, I mean, that's 150 bucks a month. I mean, on 1000 bucks. I mean, it's... A year, but yes. Yeah. A year. Yeah, yeah. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's worth considering what a luxury good is going to cost you. And asking yourself, like, are you willing to pay that cost? So with that Louis Vuitton, there's a monetary price, but there's also uh, there's also a, a future, yeah, a future monetary price with the debt. They're storing it. They're taking care of it. There's, um, you know, you wouldn't take it scuba diving because you don't want to ruin it. Right. <laughs> I think about um, Jack Johnson, yeah, the, the musician. Mm-hmm. He, um, someone asked him about, like, what's your, because he's also a filmmaker, like, 
what's your favorite guitar and what's your favorite camera? Mm. And he's like, I don't, I don't really know. Like people just give these things to me usually. And like, he goes, I'm a really bad filmmaker because I don't care about the equipment. I just like throw it in a bag and I'm scratching up the lenses and same with the guitars. Like I just, I, I don't really pay much attention to those mm. things. Right. Because I'm not very concerned. I, I really enjoy the filmmaking. I enjoy the making of music and these things are just instruments for me, but they're not objects that I fetishize. Mm. And so the Louis Vuitton bag what if you really do use it and you beat the hell out of it and that's you know something and, and it, maybe it's really durable or the Rolex watch and and that thing's getting all dinged up because you're scuba diving or whatever you're you're doing with mm-hmm. it then wonderful maybe it's actually serving a purpose now you brought up the these costs but what is the emotional cost mm-hmm. of each new thing you bring into your life what is the emotional cost of the things that you're holding on to and if it's too high then the way to avoid that cost is simply to let go. Mm. Emma, we have a question here from Lydia. What's the real reason we purchase items such as campers, boats, off-roading vehicles, cabins, and vacation homes? Is it because we hope to create memories with people through these objects? So she sort of answered her own question here. I think that's half of it, don't you, Ryan? Sure. We, I think... Maybe the most charitable thing is, oh, I hope to create memories with my vacation home Mm. or even just experiences. I I rarely ever hope to create memories. I Mm. don't find memories very useful, but I find the experiences to be wildly useful. And those, the the memories are sort of like a byproduct of that, right? Yeah. Now, the experience of any of these things, an off-roading vehicle, you've gone off-roading, almost killed yourself several times. (laughs) And you have a, an amazing experience with that, right? Yeah, yeah. However, some of these things, like a vacation home, for example, can also be a wonderful experience, or it can be, look at me. Look what I own. Aren't you impressed, Ryan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to a vacation home, I like I know people who have vacation homes that use them on a regular basis. It makes me think about an ex-girlfriend of mine. They had a family vacation home on the lake it was literally a garage that they purchased and then themselves like they remodeled it to be um three bedrooms one bathroom it was probably 700 square feet i mean it was (laughs) so so tiny right but they went down there in the summertime they go down there every other week um uh, you know something like that yeah it makes sense they are creating memories They're, they're going to the lake they're having a good time they're wakeboarding they're boating they're swimming they're whatever it is um but if you're buying a vacation home to use it once or twice a year Mm. like that's where it's like you might just want to rent something out go get a timeshare yeah and it's funny because timeshares have such a bad rap but it actually makes sense well they have a bad rap for a good reason well yeah they're they're a huge waste of money and they're overinflated and yes yeah they're they're whole companies that are dedicated to getting people out of their (laughs) timeshares i would rather have a timeshare though and you know on the lake that i could go to once or twice a year yeah than have the debt of a of a vacation house mortgage right or or the third option is how can i how can i have this without the timeshare or the mortgage and mm-hmm. airbnb is a great option yeah. so mm-hmm. airbnb is effectively a timeshare right mm-hmm. uh yeah. it, it's just more flexible and if you don't want to return to that same location you can go somewhere else it gives you that that flexibility yeah uh what, what's the other one vrbo or whatever yep um th- th- there are a bunch of options here that you so you don't have to feel pigeonholed into it because quite often these luxury items, mm-hmm. the boat, the vacation house. What what else did uh, 
that she mentioned here, the off-roading vehicles, the cabins, the campers, the whatever else. Um, all of these things, a lot of people get immense value from. Yeah. But some people get dragged by their boat and not in a fun way. Well, you know, they make these aspirational, yeah, they make these aspirational pur- purchases. Like they, they, we're going to create the memories and we need this to create the memories. It's, and I think that's where we fool ourselves. You don't need a vacation house to create meaningful vacation memories. Oh, yeah. You don't need a vacation home in order to vacation. Yeah. Tweet that podcast, Sean. Mm. Now, the, the other side of that is also like, I want to be the type of person who goes boating. <laughs> but I know, like, I get seasick. It'd be the dumbest thing, but I want to be that kind of person. Well, why do I want to be that person? Well, it's something that I've, I've coined as mimetic meaning. Some people find meaning in boating and exploration like that. And all of a sudden, I feel as though because they find meaning in that, I'm supposed to as well. Mm. So I'm the type of person who needs to own a boat now. or I, I aspire to be that type of person. I'll never be that kind of person. And it's okay understanding. In fact, as soon as you understand it, the allure of the boat fades immediately. Yeah. Man, you seem like a very nautical person to me, Josh. (laughs) Brenda has a question for us, Emma. Do luxury brands have better business practices than fast fashion? Do they have better quality and durability? Do they have better pay and working conditions for their employees? Humane practices for leather leather goods, etc. Yes and no. That's exactly what I was going to say. Just because you pay, you know, out the wazoo for a watch doesn't mean that that's a great company to support. Right. I mean, this is where this is where minimalism takes the work. Like you got to if you want to uh, purchase things intentionally, you've got to do the research. Don't just look at the price tag and well, it's cuz it's a high price, that means I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's it's yeah, yes and no. Right. Price often correlates with the quality. Mhm. Often. Like if you if you were to plot every single item that is for sale, you know, the different goods, you'll see sort of probably a bell curve where I've talked about recently, like I've been buying my shirts from Los Angeles apparel Mm -hmm. because they pay their workers fairly and and set up these, these conditions, but also because the the goods themselves are high quality. Now Mm -hmm. I certainly wouldn't call these luxury goods. They're relatively inexpensive, Mm -hmm. cheaper than going down to Melrose Avenue and shopping at Vince or one of these really high end theory, one of these stores. And by the way, those shirts are often made in Bangladesh or China or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so we get confused because something is luxury doesn't mean that it's going to be, well, it's not going to hold up necessarily with quality, but maybe it's just an excuse to charge you a higher price on an inferior good. How do they do that? By marketing it as a luxury good, Mm. but not actually incorporating the quality into those eyes. I'm sure you've worn a brand in the past where you're like, this brand is amazing. And it's all of a sudden the quality diminishes. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. When you were talking about being the type of person that drives a boat it made me think of Nautica Mm. and how like I used to wear just, I didn't even know what it was. I just knew that, you know, it was the in vogue thing to wear. Right. Is it still popular? I think it came back for about three months. Okay. 
But I did notice, like, um, I did notice the kind of the quality diminish a little bit over the years of wearing it. Um, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like, a, you know, it's not like my shirts were falling apart, but they started fitting weird. That Yeah, they just, it wasn't the same product that I bought years before. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. What will happen is they'll often cut corners mm. in order to increase the bottom line. So the thing that made them popular was their quality or their fit. But then they're like, ah, let's just make a, a few little tweaks here. If we go to this factory, it's going to cost us half as much. Mm-hmm. I don't think people are going to notice. They have brand loyalty. In fact, that's the danger of brand loyalty. Being loyal to a brand means you're going to continue to consume it and support it even when its quality is reduced. Even when it becomes inferior, you still hold on to it. Brand loyalty is simply a type of clinging. Mm. And so we don't want to be loyal to a brand. No. If we get value from something, that's wonderful. But being loyal means I'm unable to let it go. Mm. We have a question here from Todd. Can you discuss why the chase of desiring and coveting an item is more satisfying than actually obtaining it? Even if, intellectually, I understand that I'm complete and no item will complete me, why does the desire remain? Object A, baby. That's right. I mean, that's just, it's like the beautiful and the, the, the evil thing about being a human is that we always want more. We always want better. We always want improvement. So there is a, there's something that we've evolved with, with always wanting bigger and better or uh, just uh, improved as far as technological, uh, as, as far as technology goes. Like we're looking for the easier way to do things. Now, literally our body is constantly looking for the easiest way to do things to reserve as many calories as possible. But I think that that desire, it carries over into a lot of areas in our life. But I'll tell you the reason why the thought of owning it is more exciting than owning it is because you're looking at that purchase with rose colored glasses. It's like, it's just like going back to the Tesla thing with me which I don't think I talk about nearly enough on this podcast. <laughs> He's um, actually starting a separate Patreon-only podcast <laughs> right. for Tesla enthusiasts. Right, exactly. Um, but he yeah, and Jordan, like, Jordan's going to talk about watches, and Ryan will talk about Teslas. Yeah. They're going to take them apart. But I look at it with like, yeah, right. Uh, uh, <laughs> I would like blow myself up taking apart a Tesla. Um, you know, you, That's the great hope. <laughs> I look at the Tesla, especially living in L.A., and I just like imagine the self-driving and the traffic and, you know, me not having to worry about whether or not uh, I'm going to hit someone or not, um, which I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty good driver anyway. Uh, I've been in two accidents living in LA and both times I was not at fault. Um, but regardless, like, yeah, there is this, there are these rose colored glasses that I look at owning a Tesla with um, that I also can intellectually understand that like those are just all the good things about owning a Tesla. There are a lot of other things that um, I don't think of often, but when you own it, all those negative uh, uh, things that come along with the Tesla, having to charge it. Oh my God, where am I going to find a charging station? Um, Repairs on whatever it is. Those are in the forefront because now you own it where when you don't own it, you can just picture all the great things about owning that one thing. Yeah, it, it, what's fascinating is once we own it, we, we see the, the pain side of things. Mm-hmm. As you're saying, we never consider the pains, the, the true cost of the thing, Yeah, right? I do remember, um, remember when you got into an accident with your garage recently? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Mariah said it sounded like an explosion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's like, uh, like storage unit cabinets. Uh-huh, in your apartment building. Yeah, like in our in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I was backing into a parking space and I was like focusing on something else and forgot about the storage box. Uh-huh. And yeah, it, it totally like <laughs> popped my mirror. It's funny because when I went to replace the, the, the not, not mirror, my back wind, windshield, the whole back windshield, whole back windshield shattered. And when I went to go replace it, the guy, the first thing the guy asked was, he's like, uh, was it because of a storage unit? And I'm like, oh, this is not the first time it's happened. He's like, no, it happens all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To get back to the question here from Todd, there's a a key word to, to pick out here. Ryan even mentioned it here. He says, even if intellectually I understand that I am complete and no item will complete me, why does the desire remain? Because desire is never intellectual. Mm. You don't have an intellectual desire for these items. Yeah. You have an emotional, visceral desire for these things. By the way, that is also mimetic. It's created by all the people and the culture around you. Go to the Hadza in Tanzania. Tell me how much they want a private jet or a Tesla or air conditioning. Mm. They'd look at you like you were insane. Why Mm. would you need an air conditioner? We don't even have houses, right? right? And so when you look at at them you realize oh all of these desires that we have is because we see other people who also have those desires or have those things and we think they still desire the things that they have however quite often the things that you obtain the things that you possess Mm -hmm. as soon as they start possessing you you no longer have the desire to retain them you have the desire to cling to them because the fear of letting go and as soon as we're clinging to the thing it becomes virtually impossible to enjoy it i only know two people with teslas mcmanus yeah and zook ah lewis howes has one Oh, well, I don't really know him. Okay. I've never, I've never hung out with him. <laughs> <laughs> he did I mean, an event with us. He did. Uh, he drove his Tesla down there. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Um, okay, we can inclu- include Lewis House in this because my point is, is uh-huh. these people that I know with Teslas, they're not any better of a person because of it. That's right. And yeah, um, me and of course me buying a Tesla isn't going to make me Lewis House either. Although if it did, I totally would. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to be six five. That's right. And, and handsome. Yeah. <laughs> Extremely handsome. Right. Uh, so I, I think the thing you just brought up the whole point of this whole episode, Ryan, buying the luxury good does not make you a better person. Mm. Buying the luxury good in certain very narrow circumstances may slightly improve your life in some ways, but quite often improvement is the problem. Thinking we need to improve our lives. If I just do X, Y, and Z, I'll be better, I'll be happier, I'll be improved, I'll be more complete, I'll be the best version of me. Usually that happens not from improving or adding on or buying something Mm. but by subtracting by getting rid of the excess that is covering up your true nature in the first place yeah it makes me think i was listening to that um philosophize this podcast i cannot remember the philosopher that he was talking about but he was talking about uh love and what is love and you know how to how to different um how, how do different philosophies describe love and one of them uh, he was talking about how it's impossible to love externally um, if you don't love yourself first. Mm. It's it's impossible to like to, to really express and to feel that true love for other people if you don't have it for yourself. Then um, then yeah, you're not able to express it. And the thing is, is with these physical items, 
if we don't love ourselves, a Tesla isn't going to make me love myself more. Oof. A Rolex watch isn't going to make me love myself more. And we often think, well, if I have that Tesla or if I have that Rolex, then other people will give me the validation that I need. But if you don't have the validation yourself, when you look in the mirror, like it doesn't matter what you have. There is no external validation that can fill in for that internal validation. Amen. So I think the, the, when we're talking about love, you often hear me say to love someone is to see them for who they are mm-hmm. without trying to change them. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to love oneself? Well, quite often, what are we trying to do? Uh, self-improve, self-help. Mm. I need to improve myself. I need to better myself. Well, that means you don't love yourself. Mm. Here's the irony of that. As soon as you, as Ryan just pointed out, as soon as you love yourself truly, meaning accepting yourself for who you are, you can transform, not through doing, but through a particular understanding. You've already understood that a Tesla isn't going to make you a better version of you. It's also not going to make you a better person. Now, you can have it, and it might add some convenience to your life. Nothing wrong with that, right? It may even be a luxury for you. Nothing wrong with that. But I know if you bring one into your life, you're going to do so deliberately, not because Lewis Howes or Rich Roll has one. Right. We've got a question here. Who's, who, who should we talk to here? Oh, how about Christine? Yeah. <laughs> how can I purchase more time? A Rolex. Right, exactly. <laughs> Oh, well, man. remember we were doing, so this is just for patrons, so we, we can talk about this. Mm-hmm. We, you were doing, uh, we were filming. As This is actually the day after you shattered that back window. Mm. We were filming some stuff for this Netflix project we were working on mm-hmm. uh, that may never see the light of day. But um, we're, it's called Advertisement Suck. And you, <laughs> you, they did a bunch of fake ads, and you were in all of the ads, right? Yeah. And what was the saying you had? It was you holding up like a Rolex watch or some oh, fancy something watch. about like, uh, um, they say you can't buy more time, but I disagree, <laughs> which makes no sense at all. No, 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 that was the parody of it. But and, and yeah. so, let me answer this question seriously, though, because a obviously a Rolex is not going to buy you more time. But what you can't have more than twenty four hours in a day. No. What the problem is, isn't getting more time. It's what you're allocating your current time and attention on. Your most precious resources are your time and your attention. And if you're spending that, spending money on things or on experiences that you don't enjoy, then the way to get more time is to stop doing the things that don't serve a purpose in your life anymore. Mm -hmm. Even if they served a purpose a year ago, a decade ago, a week ago, Letting go of that instantly makes more time. We did a whole episode about obligations, right? Mm. And quite often, we're so busy because we have so much time. Mm. We have 80 years on this earth on average, right? And we think, I'll get to it someday, right? Oh, there's plenty of time for that. We got our whole lives ahead of us for that. Yeah, that's true, but it's over like that. You talk to anyone. They're 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I'm amazed how quickly it all went by. You and I just turned 40 this year. Mm. And it went by like nothing, man. Yeah. And here we are. And we can't get any of that time back. But right now, I can use this time and this attention to focus on as much as I want to focus on. Mm. That's how you get more time. Yeah. 
You know, I would say too, like there are things you can do to buy more time, but that all has to do with your health, right? Mm. So yeah, it's giving up certain habits. It's, uh, it's, it's exercising more, it's eating right. And some of those things do cost a little bit of money, mm. but it's really about the behavior. It's not about the purchases. Yeah. And usually it's about the lack of behavior yeah. because eating, we, we talked about this, a lot of people use things where I wrote about the minimalist diet, which, which was really just here are the things to exclude. Mm-hmm. Here's what the experts agree on. Cause we couldn't get any expert to agree on anything right. w- with respect to what to eat. We talked to a vegan, we talked to a carnivore, paleo folks, whatever, but they all had like this sort of Venn diagram of, they all agreed you don't want to eat this or this, or the seed oils are terrible for you, or factory farming is awful, and um, factory farming in certain contexts, at least, is, is awful, and and there are a bunch of things that we put into our bodies right now. If we stop putting those things into our body, we live longer. Yeah. If we sleep instead of, well, instead of staying up late and pouring blue light into our eyes, et cetera, we live longer. So mm-hmm. the, to your point, the sleep, the exercise, and the food, all of which are essential for longevity, quite often it's about what we don't put into our bodies. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that will prolong our life. It will give us more time. But it will also, more importantly, give us more quality time. Mm-hmm. Because if you're in really poor health but could live for a thousand years in poor health would you want that as opposed to 80 years in optimal health right yeah i mean who wants a thousand years of suffering right right well we got a few more questions here let's uh i think we go with michelle's question i'm curious what your criteria criteria is when evaluating a luxury purchase for me, it's a mix of fantasy, ROI, ego, and reward. So ROI being return on investment. Generally, mm-hmm. luxury items are never an investment. Yeah. And so I would take that off the table right away. Here's why. You, buy, you can buy a luxury item, but it depreciates as soon as it leaves the store or the lot or, or whatever. Whether it's a yacht or a Louis Vuitton bag, generally, it's going to, be, it's going to depreciate. And even if it doesn't, you know, I'm thinking about certain watches that, that Jordan might be into, right? Mm. They may appreciate in time, but even that is a, that's a gamble. That's like buying a commodity like gold or something. Yeah. You're kind of gambling on it. Totally. Man, I mean, I don't ever ask myself this question, <laughs> whether mm. something is luxurious or not. I, before I, you know, take that cash out of my bank, I'm not like, is this luxurious? Mm. But mainly that's because... I do look at AC as a luxury. I do look at just driving a car as a luxury. I look at um, the the healthy food I eat as a luxury. And that's my perspective. So um, the question that I ask myself, Michelle, is, again, can I afford it? Mm-hmm. And or is it superfluous? Right. And, and so the you don't value appearing luxurious and i think that's the difference i think that's why you don't look at things like that and i don't look at things that way either will other people think this is a luxury item that often goes into someone's um equation yeah and what matters is do i think it's what do i think about it i could care less what other people think about it and that that's the key because if you were so concerned about what other people thought mm-hmm. about the th- you would your purchasing decisions would be considerably different. You'd be more miserable as a result. Mm-hmm. 
and you'd have a bunch of different things that impressed other people, but ironically, they wouldn't be very impressive to you. They'd be depressive to you, even though they impressed the people around you. Yeah. And by the way, surrounding yourself with people who are impressed by things means you're forever going to be upping the ante because the people who are impressed by the Mercedes, the brand new Mercedes today, two years from now, it's not brand new anymore. Yeah. What do I have to do now to impress you? That's a game I don't want to play. Man, it's interesting. Another reason why I don't get a Tesla is like, I don't want to stand out like that. Like, I don't want people to look, oh, wow, dude, you got a Tesla, bro. Yeah, I don't think it stands out as much in a place like LA or no, Southern California. But if but in Missoula, Montana, it stands out. Yeah, yeah, not not as much anymore. <laughs> there are quite a few more there in the last yeah, year true. or so. But even like the Tesla truck, for example, which isn't out yet, thing comes out next year. Um, but even that, like the functionality of it, and it, it's awesome. Like the the ruggedness of it, the um, the reliability. They have one version that goes up to five hundred miles on a charge. So like, there's a lot of practical things. But because of the way it looks, which again, I think is really cool, but it also like really, really stands out. And there's a piece of me that doesn't want to stand out with something like that. Yeah. And I'm also cognizant of this, of this as well. I I don't, a, I don't want to buy things in order to impress other people, Mm -hmm. but also as one of the minimalists, I I certainly don't want to buy things that other people might look at as like, what the hell is he doing? I don't think there's anything Mm -hmm. wrong with owning a Lexus, let's say. Yeah. But I would never own a Lexus at this point because I might give some people the wrong impression. Mm. Here's, here's what I'm recommending. Here's what I think you should do. Here's what a minimalist does. They buy yeah. the nicest car because they don't spend money on all this other stuff, so they spend money on luxury items, mm. right? And I think, unfortunately, in fact, when we see minimalism in advertising or whatever, it's usually a successful person in a luxurious car or luxurious setting Mm -hmm. that is really high-end or expensive and that confuses people because then they begin to mistake minimalism with a different type of consumerism yeah yeah well the world will commodify anything it can yes yeah and we're we're really really good at it um let's do one more question here how about we do james's question in determining wants from needs, what are the processes you use for navigating whether a want will add value to your life versus becoming yet another unnecessary purchase? So quite often something is, I don't, I don't want to look at the lens of necessary, unnecessary, because it's not binary here, right? No. It's trionary. <laughs> it's, uh, if you go back to the no junk rule that we have in the minimalist rule book or in love people use things, you can assess any item that you own or you're thinking about owning. It's either essential now we all, or it's not essential but value-adding or it's junk. Mm-hmm. We all have the same similar essentials. We all need shelter and, and clothing and, and, and food and transportation. But even those things manifest dis- differently. Uh, Alabama rides the bus here sometimes. That's transportation. It's essential, right? Mm-hmm. If you drive your car here, that's a type of transportation. I often walk here to the studio, and that is even a, trans- a type of transportation, right? Mm-hmm. And so the essentials can change based on the individual. The biggest area to focus on here are the non-essentials. These are what I would call wants, but they add some sort of value to your life. Yeah. The junk, these are, we used to call it um, likes. Like mm-hmm. we have the needs, the wants, and the likes. And the junk is like, ah, oh, I think I'd like to have that. That might be nice to have, but we're not really sure. Maybe satellite radio in my car would be nice to, 
yeah, but I don't really, I don't really want it. I definitely don't need it, but I don't really want, I don't have a deep desire for it. It's not going to really enhance my life. And so there's a lot of junk that masquerades as though it's value adding. And those are the things I'm constantly trying to get rid of because they simply get in the way. Yeah. Well, most once I think will probably turn into junk <laughs> at some point. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it just goes, it always goes back to that question. Can I afford it? What's the true, what's the real cost? What's the, what's the true cost? Um, that's how I decipher any of these purchases. That's right. It never has to do with like, Oh, would Josh think this is too luxurious or would so-and-so look up to me if I own this uh-huh. or, uh, um, what would people think of me as a minimalist if I had this? Like, I don't ever ask those questions. Huh. It, it simply comes down to like what, <laughs> what, 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 uh, what per- the, the purchase that I make comes down to like what I value. Yeah. yeah. I, I do. I do. As, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. I do sometimes think what, what example am I setting for other people? Of course. Yeah. And so if I wore like, if I came in here just dripping head to toe in Supreme clothes, <laughs> like what? What message am I sending here, right? Yeah, but if you were an enthusiast, though, about Supreme, I don't know how you could be enthusiastic about a brand. <laughs> but, but let's say you were. Like, I mean, there still is no judgment on that. In fact, you know, let's say I came in here in Supreme and I, like, went on this whole dissertation about why I was, you know, really, uh, why I really enjoyed the art mm-hmm. of, of, of what they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, anything, as long as it's, the correct con- the correct context mm-hmm. is uh, you can still set a good example with that, but I understand what you're saying. If you're doing it just for the status, yeah, then yeah, like that's th- that's a problem. And there are certain examples that that is is one for sure. But any of these luxury goods that, in fact, I was talking to this uh, interior designer recently, and she um, she mentioned how like she'll have these clients come in. She, her studios in Beverly Hills, mm. and so like they. That what they do is they, they help people sort of design their their homes and their furniture and their art and and, and curate a beautiful home right mm. and they'll have she'll have like these women come in with like a nine thousand dollar purse you know, and it's got all the Gucci or Louis Vuitton or whatever Chanel I don't know what the, the brands are but uh, it has all the logos all over so you're displaying the fact that you have a nine thousand dollar purse mm-hmm. not that it's simply a, a really simple nine thousand dollar purse but mm-hmm. it's hey look at this and she'll show them like a, a beautiful piece of art like that vase we have over there but it's handmade in Germany and it'll be like four thousand mm-hmm. dollars and Quite often, these women are like, I, I could never spend four thousand dollars on <laughs> on, a vase. on a vase, and she's like, but yeah. it's actual, it's an actual piece of art, right? right? Yeah. And then, so what you're what you're saying is, like, I think this vase over here costs us thirty dollars, but mm-hmm. but um, and it's, I'll sell and it to you for four thousand. <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful, and I think what would be more impressive than the well, then the $9,000 purse, if you learned, well, that was $9,000, no one ever mentioned it, right? It's just like, yeah. it's a beautiful piece of art that accentuates your space. Mm-hmm. And so the question then is, who am I doing this for? Mm. If you're an actual bag enthusiast, that's one thing. But there are many things that we buy only because of what someone else is going to think about it. And that is um, that's a surefire sign that I probably don't need it, but I also probably actually don't even desire it or want it. Mm. It's a sign of insecurity too, man. Yes. And it's almost, and it, what cracks me up is when 
you know, people will buy these things and it makes them more secure. It just makes me so sad for them. Like, oh, well, like you need that $9,000 purse to feel secure. Like that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Patrons, a few things real quick before we wrap this up. I mentioned Beulah's art. If you're interested, I'm just telling you before we announce it to the public. It may already be gone by the time you check, but if you're interested in it and you think you'll get value from it, theminimalists.com slash art. That'll just forward you to her website. I don't know the long URL for that. But uh, you can find all four pieces over there, the dimensions. You can either buy all four together. I think she's doing a discount. and She's actually selling these way cheaper than she sells a lot of her art. Uh, But you can own a piece of The Minimalist Studio as well. So uh, theminimalists.com slash art. You can check that out. You can also check out her other artwork while you are there. And then we did a vote recently on Patreon. We had uh, folks rename some of our tiers. Mm. And so we have uh, the, the four different tiers. We're still keeping the true fans and the VIPs up top. But overwhelmingly, it came back. Simpleton, mm. that is uh, what everyone really likes. So everyone who's a patron is also a simpleton. So don't feel left out. Yeah. But that, that is our most uh, uh, basic support level. And then beyond that, what came in second round was intentionalist, mm. which if we could go back and, and sort of rename ourselves, I wouldn't, but like if there's a second name that I would pick, it would be the intentionalist. Yeah, maybe. It's yeah. pretty lame. <laughs> <laughs> he just called the uh, 5,000 of you lame. I'm no, sorry about that. No, no. It's it's for, for us as the minimalist, like that is, it strikes up it evokes some type of emotion uh-huh. where the intentionalists, it is, uh, it's not nearly as provoking as the minimalist. I think it's a great name for the second tier of our yeah. patrons. In fact, minimalist was one of the, uh, was one of the votes and not a whole lot of people voted for that. Mm-hmm. There was a few others on there. Declutterers and, um, I forget what else we put on there. Oh, um, enoughies was a suggestion from one of the, which I kind of liked enoughies. Yeah. Right. Um, and, cool. and so we've got a bunch of things coming, especially for the intentionalist level and up. We've got a weekly live stream coming to you real soon. We're still working out all the, the tech details of that. I'm bringing back uh, the solo pod minimalism today, early access to event tickets. Obviously anytime we do any tour stuff, we also have 50 quarantine conversations and over 30 biggest failure videos out there. And, um, for our true fans and VIPs, we're going to start doing this monthly video tour series. So we just released, by the time this comes out, I think, a the fourth edition of the um, studio tour. It's the fourth of five. The fifth one will be the final tour. We're, we're so close. We're like 80% of the way there now. So you can go back and actually see the iterations. The first one was just an empty room. Mm. It was easy to tour the empty room. Yeah. And now we are here in the studio space about 80% of the way there. But we're also going to go into our own homes and do kind of look in the crevices, so to speak, both literally and figuratively. You can check out my junk drawer and, and, and maybe we'll open up the cabinets and really get deep into what minimalism looks like. We're just going to do that here on Patreon for the, the true fans and the VIPs. But no matter what level of support you are, we're thankful for you, Simpletons. Amen. You keep this podcast 100% advertisement free. You help us pay Jess and Jordan and Podcast Sean and Danny Unknown in Alabama and Emma, the immigrant who is uh, repatriating soon. Um, she's going to head back to Canada here shortly. Boo! <laughs> yeah, I agree. Boo. Uh, apparently, it's, uh, it's really difficult to get a, a work visa here. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> i don't think he has anything to do with it <laughs> oh <laughs> but um yeah uh, emma will still be with us in spirit 
and virtually, and and you'll see a whole lot more of her. She has a, a podcast you could check out as well. Um, curious one, right? Yeah, yeah, the curious one. You can find that wherever good podcasts are sold <laughs> or listened to or, or whatever. Uh, patrons, thank you so much. Uh, whether you're a simpleton, an intentionalist, a true fan, or a VIP, we are grateful for you. Thank you for supporting us, keeping the lights on, and keeping us fed with luxury foods. <laughs> All right, y'all. I love people use things. We'll see you soon. Thanks, y'all. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.